welcome to Dave's Head. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, good people. Wherever you are and however you're listening to the sound of my voice, thank you for the ear. I am Dave, and this is Dave's Head. So what's in my head? A number of things that are in my head, but first and foremost is the loss of a titan, the loss of a, a great man this past weekend, the passing of the Honorable Brother John Lewis, who died this past weekend at the age of 80. And I know that life expectancy in this country is somewhere in the 70s, but when you hear that someone passed at 80, to me, that just doesn't seem that old anymore, you know? And back in December of last year, pre or the start of COVID, he announced that he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And I've lost a few people in my life uh, to cancer. I know a few people currently dealing with various forms of cancer, but as was said by uh, Ty McGillberry in the very first episode of this podcast, life is fatal in all known circumstances. And every time you hear someone talk about a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, it's, it's something you know in the back of your mind and in the middle of your heart is something that means they're on borrowed time. And when you hear stage four, and if you know the stages of cancer, you hear stage four pancreatic cancer, you, you understand what's to come in the next few weeks or months. But with COVID, it, it kind of fell to the back burner, so to speak, slipped to mind. You know, you just didn't think that that day would come. It wasn't something that was in the front of your, your head that, you know, how's he doing? How's he moving? You know, I, I'd seen him posing in D.C. at the Black Lives Matter um, painting on the street recently, and you just didn't think that the end was that near. It's just, you know, with everything that was going on and seeing him out there, and, and he looked like he had lost a little weight, and he was, you know, as, as people do when they're dealing with cancer and battling cancer, the weight gets lost. Your body's fighting it off with the help of either chemo or some other medical procedures, and you tend to lose weight. And there are people who survive and send their cancers into remission. But pancreatic cancer, for me, every time I've heard it in my life, has met a borrowed time sentence, if you will. And so the passing of John Lewis, when I woke up, I believe, on Sunday morning, and I saw the alerts on my phone that it happened while I was sleeping, it, it, it was painful to look at. And as I started this by saying he was a titan. You know, it's one of those things with history is that history is kind of funny and not in a comical way. But history is one of those things where 5, 10, 20, 50 years from now, the real impact of John Lewis will be felt by those who today deny the impact wholeheartedly. You know, there's a thing in government where things are declassified after a certain amount of time. Well, I don't think we need to declassify the impact of Brother Lewis. I think we know his impact. We know his, his dedication and commitment to seeing equality amongst all Americans. You know, he served in the 5th District for more than three 
decades in Georgia. At 23, what were you doing at 23? At 23, he was speaking as a keynote speaker at the historic 1963 March on Washington. And just two years after that, two years after that, 1965, two years after that speech, he'd suffer a fractured skull on what's now known as Bloody Sunday, which really garnered up the support for the Voting Rights Act of 1965 because of what happened that day in Selma. You know, one of the things about Brother Lewis is he, he, he told the story many times in many ways about how he liked to get in good trouble. Except he said, good trouble. And that may not even do it justice. And if you understood his, his slight accent, you know, Southern people had their little twang. They had a way of saying things. But he said, good trouble. And he spent a lifetime as an activist fighting against poverty and working to improve education and health care. And in 2011, President Barack Obama awarded him the highest honor in the land, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Not only well-deserved, well-past due. You know, it's kind of that thing where, you know, you give people their flowers while they're alive. And fortunately, he was able to receive that honor while he was alive, but it was still way past due. Proud to say he's an honorable brother of my fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. And I met Honorable Brother Lewis a couple times. I did. And if you follow me in any capacity for any period of time, you know I have no problem sharing any and every, almost, part of my life. But in his presence, I never thought about taking a picture with him. Never. I was humbled and honored to be in his presence and to hear his words and hear his speech and talk to him and shake his hand and understand the, the, the titan that I was in the presence of. And do I regret that? Absolutely. I regret it in the moment. I regretted the moments after. But in those moments, I still never thought about taking a picture with him. And I started by saying this and I'll conclude by saying this. He was a titan among men. A legendary part of this country's history that should never be forgotten. Or frankly, disrespected. There's, there's a tendency in history, if I'm going to keep it real, to, to push false narratives and revisionist history in this country. We should not let that happen with the Honorable Brother John Lewis. We shouldn't. Because the Titan he is, not was, is, should write his own history. Bloody Sunday writes its own history. March on Washington writes its own history. We all want to leave a legacy. We all want to leave an impact. I, I hope, and I, I'm making assumptions right now, that we all want to leave some sort of positive impact on this country, this world. But how many of us will get to leave that type of impact? And the reason I keep throwing the word Titan out there is because not all of us will get to leave that type of impact. And so the loss that this nation and this world suffered on Sunday, many people went on with their lives on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and will on Thursday and Friday. But a hole is left in this nation. The conscience of Congress, right? The willingness to get in trouble to make sure that you and I have the right to vote 
And if you want to honor his legacy, as I do, and I hope that everyone listening to the sound of my voice does, then get your ass to the polls in November. And don't just pay attention to the presidency. Pay attention to governors and senators and representatives and local government, councilmen, mayors, state reps, local reps, school board. Pay attention to everything up and down the ballot. I challenge every single person listening to the sound of my voice. Don't just pull the Democratic lever. Don't just pull the Republican lever. Do research. Look up the the people running for office. Look at their history. Look at their resume. Look at their intentions. Look at their words. More importantly, look at their actions. The right to vote should not be taken lightly. It shouldn't be a Democratic lever or Republican lever. I have been and will always will be a registered independent. I voted for Democrats. I voted for Republicans. I voted for independents. I voted for Green Party. The right to vote is something we should all, all take seriously. Because someone gave their skull, literally, and their blood, literally, to make sure we could do it. And so, Honorable Brother John Lewis, I hope that you are resting peacefully. And I hope that you know that the efforts and the work that you put in this country and this world are not underappreciated and will never be forgotten. And all I can say is thank you. From that, I, I turn to the second thing that's on my mind, which um, for a very different reason is not exactly positive. This past weekend, I was in uh, Baltimore and had dinner with a friend of mine. And afterwards, we decided to walk off that dinner. One of my favorite restaurants, by the way, if you get a chance to go to Baltimore. And again, I don't get paid for any endorsement I do. It's just I, I want to share the experiences that I have. That's what it's all about. Um, if I enjoy it, then I think other people will too, because I'm kind of bougie. So <laughs> I'm kind of bougie. I'm just going to put it out there. I like good food. I like good travel. I like, yeah. So if I experience something I consider great, I'm going to share it. So a restaurant that I love to go to in Baltimore is called Roy's R O Y apostrophe S look it up. They have some amazing food, some amazing sushi, great drinks, nice wine selection, Beautiful decor, although I don't go inside anymore with the Rona. I'm sitting outside every time I go there. But if I could recommend anything, sushi's always good. Um, the ribs are always good. Um, their fish trio is always good. Their lobster bisque is literally to die for. I've stopped what I was doing in my tracks to call in and order lobster bisque to pick up and take home with me on my way back home from Baltimore from the Army-Navy game years ago. True story. But... Walking around with my friend, and we stumbled upon a place to grab some drinks and sit down. So kind of the opposite of walking at all, but it's it's neither here nor there. We passed an outdoor restaurant on the way to walking, and on the way back after we had some more drinks, we're walking back, and by the time we got back to this outdoor restaurant, a protest had kind of broken out on the corner right next to this outdoor restaurant. Not in the restaurant, but just it's an outdoor restaurant, so it's sort of kind of close to the corner. The protest broke out on the corner. And from what I remember, they were protesting for justice for Brother Ahmad Arbery. And if you don't remember the story about Brother Ahmad Arbery, he was the one who was jogging, was kind of chased down, shot. Um, that litigation and all that is still kind of working itself out with the courts. The guy's released, uh, arrested, 
finally. And so as we approach the peaceful protest, a Caucasian man in a BMW, I believe it was, puts a, a MAGA hat out his window, a big bright red MAGA hat out his window and just begins yelling MAGA bitch as he's driving by. He's just screaming MAGA bitch, MAGA. And of course he didn't stop because, you know, that's what punks do. They just do that stuff and keep going. But also in this restaurant, now it's the outside bar. It's kind of, there's a kind of wall between the bar and the protesters. So anybody in a restaurant really technically can't see them. They can kind of hear them. You know, they're chanting, no justice, no peace, justice for Ahmad. You know, they're just chanting. They're not causing a ruckus. There's literally, I remember there was a cop on the street just kind of sitting there in his car. Nothing out of the ordinary First Amendment right in its purest form. And a Caucasian male inside the restaurant is just getting irate. And you can tell he works out a little bit, you know, in some capacity. And he's just, you know, he's, he's veins are bulging. He's just angry, face all scalded up. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. He's just screaming out the top of his lungs. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. And so I'm just curious. I'm trying to, uh, it just, it, it bothered me in the sense of one, this guy throws his MAGA head out of his car. Well, not throws it out, but you know, puts the MAGA head out of his window and is screaming MAGA bitch. Like, what does that have to do with demanding justice for someone who you say you care about, right? Because people who sport the MAGA hats and, and do this type of stuff say that they believe that everyone's their equal. We're all Americans, you know, with the illegal immigrant thing. We don't want the illegal immigrants. It's all about us Americans. But these Americans are exercising their First Amendment rights, right? Inalienable rights, right? We've had this discussion before on Dave's Head Podcast. Inalienable rights are guaranteed for everybody. So why are you yelling MAGA bitch out your window? And why is this man irate? Get them out of here. Get who out here? These Americans exercising their First Amendment, right? I don't get that. Why are you so angry at First Amendment exercisers? These same MAGA hat people didn't have a problem with that group of people storming the Capitol months ago with their guns, putting law enforcement officers that they claim to care about at COVID risk. And so it, it bothers me in the sense that it makes me ask the question, does the First Amendment really apply to all Americans or does it apply to people only who support your MAGA cause? And if it sounds like I'm directly targeting MAGA and MAGA supporters, you damn right I am. Because I'm conflicted by your words and your actions. Because you say it's about making America great, right? Again, and we when was America great? We can talk about that. Because I need, I need a definition of great. And I still have yet to find someone who represents the MAGA, not maggot, MAGA population who can illustrate or articulate what's this again, this great again part. Can't point me to the great part of America that's to them no longer here. So I'm having trouble identifying and correlating words and actions. Because if it's truly about making America great again, then it should be about honoring the inalienable rights of every single American, right? But in this instance, Americans exercising their First Amendment rights to free speech were met with MAGA bitch 
an angry happy hour goer. So I'm trying to figure out how that all works. How does that gel? How does that make sense? How is what you say you represent being truthfully exhibited by your actions? Maybe somebody can tell me that one day. Lastly, I want to talk about something a little more positive. Um, This week, I uh, started doing some meal prepping. And it's, I swear, every month I feel like I'm doing a COVID adjustment, right? You know, it became a lot of cooking and cigars and Taco Tuesdays and and doing, if you follow me at all on social media, doing live uh, musical broadcasts, which, by by the way, I need to bring that back. I kind of took a little break from the musical live sessions just because I've honestly been so busy. But I feel like this month's COVID adjustment and, and still blows my mind that we're already just about through July. I mean, we're, we're halfway through this year that is, I'm over 2020. It's been a shit show in many ways, but I started doing this meal prepping this week. And so I, I bought something off of, uh, I think it was Living Social or, uh, yeah, I think it was Living Social, not Groupon. And it was basically a three compartment glass meal prep storage container, four of them. And so I told myself four is a great number because, you know, I got a Taco Tuesdays, so got my tacos one day, I got meal preps for the other four days. And so I, I prepped everything Monday morning. Um, I got up because everything had been seasoning overnight and some boneless chicken breasts. I did some sweet potatoes and I did some asparagus. Small meals, small portion, worked out Monday. So it was a workout Wednesday, workout Friday. Now, granted, I'll be doing some sports this weekend. Um, so I'll make up for the, the lack of, of sports and, and working out. But it's it's one of those things where I feel like every month during COVID, there's something else I'm finding that I can do to not only adjust and cope with the COVID experience, but also to improve my, my life and improve my health or improve my sleep or improve my physique or improve the, the way I'm cooking or improve my technical abilities or improve, you know, what I do for my fraternity or what I do for my job or what I do for my family. And meal prepping, I think, is one of those things that kind of stops you in the moment. I feel like we're racing and racing and racing. We look up and it's the middle of July. We're going to look up again in like two days. It's going to be the end of July. And then we're going to look up again and it's going to be, you know, basketball is going to be back and baseball is going to be started and, you know, football's around the corner and these all going to be covid you know, reduced, but we're going to look up and it's going to be November and it's going to be Thanksgiving and we're still going to be in the same situation. And it was another topic for another day why we'll still be in that situation, but we're going to look up. It's going to be Thanksgiving and we're going to be sitting here talking about how the hell are we going to do this? But I feel like in this moment in July where we are now, meal prepping kind of stops that runaway train and for an hour, because, you know, if you think about meal prepping, if any, anybody who's done it before, it's portioning out stuff. It's slicing this. It's it's cooking that. It's it's all to fit into a mold, right? The way I cook, I cook. I have leftovers. There's not a single time you'll find me cooking prior to meal prepping where I'll cook, I'll eat, and that will be the end of the food. No leftovers, no nothing. It's just I don't do portions. I had a conversation the other day about, you know, my recipes and, and ideas I have for a recipe book and all that stuff. And my friend said to me, you don't measure anything. So how can you do a recipe book? Because it's true. I don't measure anything. I cook by taste. That's how I was raised to do it. You know, some people have quarter cup brown sugar, um, 
two teaspoons of cayenne pepper, two tablespoons of honey. No, I take that brown sugar, that cayenne pepper, and that honey. I mix it together, and when it tastes and smells the way I think it should taste and smell for what I'm doing, that's when I know I have what I want. That's how I cook. I cook with flavors and smells and 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 taste. And so there's, I mean, listen, there's a general boundary. You know, if it's four teaspoons of of brown sugar, it's never going to be five cups of brown sugar. So you you know what I mean? It's 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 going to fall within a range. However, I'm not going to be able to sit there and tell you four cups of this, two tablespoons of that, three pinches of this. No, I it's my recipe book will be season to taste, season to taste, season to taste. But obviously, that's not going to work for a cookbook. So at some point, I need to sit down and look at what I'm putting in, what gets me to the scent and flavor that I'm looking for to get the taste that I want and measure it. I get that. The meal prepping <laughs> slows everything down and says, in this moment, at this time, all we're focusing on is cooking and cooking portions. And it's in the leftover, we're actually cooking for leftovers. We're not actually cooking to eat. We're cooking for leftovers. And that's really different for me. Now, granted, and I'll admit this, I slightly cooked more chicken than I had needed for my meal prep containers. I slightly cooked a little more sweet potatoes than I needed for my meal prep containers. So I just ate while I was slicing things. But the intention wasn't a meal and leftovers. The intention was I'm cooking to do this for my meal prep containers. And so that's a whole new world for me. Because I have to cook for not eating right now. A little different. So it's something I get used to. And I'll, I'll keep you guys updated on that. And if anybody's interested in where I got the the meal prep containers from or any recipes, I have a whole bunch of recipes that I'm going to try for meal prepping. I'm looking forward to doing you know, fishes and pastas and all that because, you know, pasta, when it gets refrigerated, it tends to stick together. So I'm looking forward to doing a lot of custom sauces to kind of loosen that up a little bit. So I'll, I'll share some pictures like I always do, but I'll, I'll share some pictures and I'll share some recipes like I always do. And hopefully, you know, it's something that you can do and, and try out. We're going to take a break and come back with an amazing, amazing interview with a a powerful strong um, leader and influential woman in the Philadelphia area um, I'm looking forward to uh, speaking with her on many issues um, including brother Lewis uh, leadership diversity inclusion um, we're, we're going to talk about a bunch of things so stick around and we will be right back Hey, headers. Yeah, I didn't coin the phrase, I know. During my podcast, you'll notice that between segments, you hear commercials. Kind of like this one. The commercials are either paid sponsorships or promotional for people who support my podcast. Well, I like to provide that same opportunity to all my headers. If you like and support, well, technically, you don't have to like it, I guess. But I mean, it's kind of weird and somewhat creepy if you don't like my podcast, but you're still faithfully listening to it. Anyway. If you at least listen to my podcast, I like to offer you the opportunity to advertise on it. Now, before you say it, there's no cost. Hashtag free. If you have a charity or community event or anything going on where you're paying it forward, shoot me an email with a summary and the key info and I'll do all the rest for you. Or, you know what? Get creative and do a 30 second ad yourself and send it to me. Either way, 
send it to davesheadpod at gmail.com. Let's spread the news about great things together. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Welcome back. So we've uh, we, we, we opened up this um, this episode with uh, speaking on the departure and transition of the Honorable Brother John Lewis. And we talked about how, you know, he is not was is a titan in this country, in this world, in this society. And when you look at change agents and you look at how people and their efforts and their energy and their resilience and their determination to see things better for others, not themselves, for others. That's a, a leadership quality that some people just don't have and a lot of people do, but some people don't have that leadership quality. The ability to affect change for people without the reward, right? Because think about what Brother Lewis did. Think about what Brother Martin Luther King did, who was the influence for Brother Lewis. In case you didn't know that, brother, the Honorable Brother John Lewis said that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was his inspiration, his influence. But if you look at the life and legacy of Honorable Brother John Lewis, it's about trying to do for others. You know, what's, what's the reward for Bloody Sunday? A cracked skull. That's not something that we aspire to, right? We don't aspire to go out and protest and get our skulls cracked so that you can have the ability to vote. That's not what we do. We don't. And, and when I say that's not what we do, I say that's not what we wake up in the morning and say, I want to change this world and get my skull cracked in the process. That's not how we do this. It's a byproduct of the situation at the time back in the 60s. But that's not, I'm sure, that wasn't the plan waking up in the morning, walking across that bridge in Selma. But Brother Lewis was willing to accept that to get the outcome that benefited massive amounts of people, people listening to this show right now. And so the other side of that, if you look at diversity and how far that's come in this world professionally, in positions of, of financial corporations and not just financial corporations, but corporations in general with diversity in the workplace and diversity in CEO positions and executive positions and companies. All this can be rooted back to the efforts of Brother John Lewis and Martin Luther King. If, if you look at the NBA, they like to talk about the coaching tree, the NFL as well. And so one of the examples of that is um, if you go back to the NFL, we'll go to the NFL for a second, and you go to the, the Mike Holmgren coaching tree. They talk about it a lot of times because Andy Reid came from there. And I think, um, what's his name? Chucky came from that, that coaching tree. And just a number of other people came from that coaching tree. Look at the Tony Dungy coaching tree. And the point of that is if you go, you can look at Andy Reid and say he's a great coach. You can look at what people arguably say is the greatest coach ever to, to coach on the sideline, a coach in New England. We're not going to say his name, though, because he's New England. But... There's a coaching tree that people talk about all the time in the NFL. And just think about this, the, the life tree. Diversity in the workplace happened because equality became a thing. 
Equality became a thing because of what? The civil rights movement. Civil rights movement became a thing because of leaders, change agents, like the Honorable Brother John Lewis, like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And no disrespect to any other person. There's hundreds of people I can name that affected the civil rights movement, affected the positive change for black and brown people. But if you look at the tree of diversity, the tree of diversity in the workplace, look at the roots. Go back to the beginning. Brother John Lewis affected that change. Brother Dr. Martin Luther King affected that change. And so when we talk about leadership and diversity, what does that mean? What does that mean? Let me bring in Dr. Brandy Baldwin, a psychology and business professor turned entrepreneur. She is an alumnus of Temple University, T for Temple U, having received an undergraduate degree in psychology, a master's in organizational development, and a doctorate in educational leadership. Whew. Named one of Philadelphia's most influential African-Americans. And she's a two-time author. First work uh, is put in work, gain respect, influence others, and get results as a new leader. And secondly, Authentic Ally, a guilt-free guide to becoming an ally for racial equity. Last but certainly not least, she is also CEO of Millennial Ventures Holdings. Welcome to Dave's Head, Dr. Brandy. How's it going? It's going great, Dave. How are you? I'm good. I'm maintaining sanity day by day in the middle of this pandemic. Doing all right. Yes, yes. Good, good. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'd like to start by just uh, giving you an opportunity. I know I shared a bunch of things about you, but nothing's better than in your own words. So if you want to tell the people what you do, what your expertise is, I mean, I mentioned your degrees, we can go on and on about the things that you do, but just, you know, give us a highlight of the things you do and your expertise. Um, sure. So this is kind of what I'll say, you know, I am someone who has always been entrepreneurial, have my first business, you know, in elementary school, doing my friend's nails and walking dogs and babysitting and tutoring. And, and at the end of the day, you know, what I've grown into and in, in, in launching Millennial Ventures is, is an extension of what I wish I um, had and, and, and everything that I do through Millennial Ventures and the businesses that we launch are things that, you know, I would be a consumer for, things that I would, would need. And so, um, you know, for anyone out there who is entrepreneurial or, or in business or thinking about it, you know, just know that, you know, when you're solving problems, it has to be something that, you know, you, you would love and that you would need anyway. So that's my approach to it. Um, I'll be honest, all of those degrees are very good, but there's, there's so many other experiences I've had that have helped me to be successful even beyond sort of the book knowledge and that degree experience. We may get into a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, and I'm a mom, so that's just icing on the cake. So thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Ah, no problem. The, the biggest responsibility is the last one you mentioned, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the one that, you know, the, the, the jury is still out. We'll see how how good of a, of a mother I am in a couple years. You know, I'll have a lifetime to be able to look at the results of, of this project. But yeah, definitely my biggest responsibility. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned about being, you know, something that you're passionate about or interested in, I hear that a lot with investing too, that, you know, you should look for stocks and, and, and the stock market if you want to get in, involved in that and look at things that you're actually interested in. Like, you know, don't go investing in oil if you're an athlete and you know that's not your lane you know pick things that interest you and i guess it's the same thing with starting a small business pick problems that you want to solve yourself 
Exactly. It helps. It helps. It's hard. It's tough. It's something that, you know, it, it, people say, oh, I want to work for myself. Well, that's 10 times harder than working for, for other people. So in order to sustain that passion, that focus, and that drive, yeah, definitely pick something that, you know, you're, you're interested in doing. That's an extension of, of already of who you are. I'm getting into it for the money. Very short-lived um, as far as I've seen from myself and some of my colleagues. So, yeah. All right, so let's get into the, the Q&A. And I wanted to talk to you because um, just your background um, and the things that you do, a lot of it has to do with diversity and inclusion. And when I reached out to you, that was it was something you posted about being on, I believe, a either town hall or a panel uh, where you were speaking in the last couple of weeks. And I reached out when I saw that. And I said, this would be great to talk about on my podcast. So let, let's start here. So can you define diversity and inclusion and, and talk about the areas in society where these are most important, most needed, and, and really most lacking? Absolutely. So when it comes to, and I'm going to add um, diversity, equity, and inclusion in there too. So to keep it simple, diversity is exactly what it sounds like, right? It's the differences that people have. I think right now people are very focused on racial diversity, but at the end of the day, there's diversity in our abilities. There's diversity in um, our ages, you know, millennials versus baby boomers versus Gen Xers and Gen Z, you know, diversity in interest. You know, when you think about um, the psychology and the background of just cultures, there's more within group differences and across group differences. And so even within the quote unquote black or African-American culture, there's so many differences within that culture. Um, so I'm Jamaican. Um, and so I can show up and show that Jamaican side of myself in certain contexts and in other contexts, nobody would ever know. You know, um, I can be, um, when you think about Europeans, you know, Inside of that group that we call European, there's even diversity there based on customs, religions, um, you know, interests, values. And so diversity is just all of the differences that we have that we can identify. Um, I think we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get into this. something else I was going to say, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> um, you know, equity is making sure that based on what we know about our differences, everyone has equal access, not the same access, but equal access to resources, to opportunities and that sort of thing. And then inclusion is like, the, the, that's like the golden, the golden, um, you know, trophy that we want to get to, which is everyone feeling like they belong, um, everyone having an opportunity to, to belong legitimately within uh, organizations and in, in, in life and being fully integrated into whether it's society or, or again, a smaller organization. So, yep. Powerful statement. And you, you kind of bled into my next question a little bit as well, uh, speaking about differences and, and black African-Americans and, and the Europeans. Didn't know you were Jamaican, though. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> okay, cue the horns. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so let, let's, let's dive into race relations a little bit. And to me, in my adult lifetime, we're, I feel like, and I could be wrong, it's just my opinion, but I feel like we're kind of like at an all-time low for race relations. It just feels ugly right now. And so looking at the national challenges of diversity, inclusion, equity, and race relations, do you think they all can be addressed at the same time, or how do we address them at the same time? Yes. Ooh, good question and, and big question. So, you know, I, I think, quite frankly, that um, we have to think about this in a macro and a micro context. 
macro being society in general. I think that um, there are still a lot of inequities uh, in the larger society that plague not only black and African Americans, but uh, people of color and people with different socioeconomic statuses. So what we can't do is, you know, fall into the trap of all white people this and all black people, you know, to my first point. And so there are people who have who are white who have a low socioeconomic status. Not even white. There are all people of different backgrounds that have a low socioeconomic status, and they do not have some of the same access to other um, people may call privilege, you know, wealth privilege that other groups do. There are people who are wealthy, but because they are maybe of color, um, they they have different challenges maybe when they interface with law enforcement in certain areas or not you know so we want to be mindful of um sort of the larger context and then you think about education and redlining and gentrification and like all of these things that we have to to work through figuring out you know if they need to be changed and 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 how they can be changed um and i i personally will say that um you know, dovetailing off of sort of my macro micro comment, I think a lot can be done on the micro level. So micro meaning our interactions, you know, every single day when um, I go out to the CVS or Walgreens, am I encountering racism just when I'm going to the grocery store? And is it that real day in, day out for all African-Americans, all people of color, you know, at the hands of white people? I don't believe so. Um, I think that at our jobs and our workplaces and, you know, when we interact, I think that we've come such a long way in general with some of the micro. But I think that where we're going to miss the mark and where a lot of the change is not going to happen is if we focus so much on the macro, oh, vote, you know, uh, we're going to just, that's all we're going to do. We're just going to vote. That's the strategy. You know, um, we're going to use that institution, which we know is corrupt and dysfunctional in and of itself as a part of the only or major part of the solution. I don't think so. I think that we need to even take a micro approach. What does that mean? That means that if you are a police officer and you notice that your colleague is, um, you know, being unprofessional, uh, is corrupt, quite frankly, are you going to say something or are you not going to say something? You know, we can blame Google for stealing our data, selling our data, using something. But guess what? We're also working on Google. We actually have, we, we, we are helping institutions to oppress all of us. And so are you really that serious about, you know, uh, the platform of equity that you're going to quit your job when you realize that your uh, employer is maybe um, corrupt or, you know, is affiliated with, you know, whatever, or Hollywood, are you really going to stop watching movies when you realize that some of your favorite actors are pedophiles? Are you going to, you know, so from a micro level, I think that's where the power can come from, where day in, day out, we make these decisions um, that we actually have control and power we're doing to change the systems um, rather than sort of deferring to a larger macro strategy. Um, and, and I think that race relations, um, positive race relations, um, are, are, is, is the goal. I think that it has gotten negative because of just our current context. And I think this too shall pass. I think there are so many other agendas that play that I'm not sort of calling it yet, you know, and there are a lot of people, you know, in my sort of sphere of influence that are saying, Hey, I want to be a part of the solution. I want to help, but I want to help in a way that's not going to further divide others. I want to help in a way that's not also exclusionary. I want to help in a way that brings positivity um, because at the end of the day, people are going to burn out from talking about race. 
people are already over it. They're, they're done with talking about racism. They're tired of being scared to be called a racist. You know, and even people of color, African-American and black people are like, you know, I don't only want my whole existence to be that I am black. I don't want to be the black expert on your show. I just want to be the expert on your show. I don't want to be the black, you know, selected speaker for that. I just want to be the mm-hmm. speaker, you know. And so, you know, can we get to a point? Now, right now, I think it's a little too early. I think the wound is, is too, you know what I'm saying, it's too raw, right? Yeah, it's still leaking. But I, it's still leaking right now. We need some gauze. We need some uh, peroxide, you know, mm-hmm. some MacGyver it up, hook it up. Some honey. But I do think that. Okay, some A and D ointment. Okay, um, but you know, I think that we will we will definitely get to that point quicker than we all think. And I think at the end of the day, I think again, going back to sort of that the concept of the micro level, it's why do you believe what you believe? Where did that come from? Where did your belief come from? Is your belief helping other people move forward. You know, I'm a systems thinker. I have a background in psychology. I love organizational systems and development. And so I'm always looking at, you know, the bigger picture of who benefits from us um, feeling like America is so racist. Who benefits? Who would be out of a job if they couldn't show up at a rally and have a speaking engagement? Who would be out of a job if they couldn't get a a, a 9 p.m. slot on CNN to talk about how bad, you know, America is? Or who, you know, I'm looking at the economics of it all, and and that doesn't mean that there's, um, you know, one thing's wrong or another, but I think that we really need to pause and take a step back look at the gross generalizations that are being made out there and not make the same mistake. Just because we're talking about um, maybe talking about white people today um, and maybe another group tomorrow, but what we can't assume is that that we are just the way we are and that they are just the way they are. And that and I'm seeing a lot of that. And I think that when it comes to the race relations, who are we taking cues from? I don't take my cues from the government. I don't take my cues from the media. Um, I don't take my, I take my cues from my own personal values and the people that are around me. And so although I can, and by doing that, I can acknowledge that yes, there are some um, egregious um, systemic challenges um, that are, um, you know, hitting people of low socioeconomic status, people of color, black people, black men. I mean, we can go all the way down. Mm-hmm. It's there. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not going to stop me, nor should it, from acknowledging the people in my immediate circle or that I engage with that are, are not a part of the problem, you know, um, if that makes any sense. No, it absolutely does. And, and to your macro micro point, I, I look at elections and voting in macro micro. And I think we spend definitely too much time worrying about the president and not worrying about our local representatives and, and mayors and yeah. all that stuff. And I think we can make su- such a bigger difference and impact if we focus a lot more on those local and state elections than we do in that presidential and Congress, those elections. Absolutely. You know, and I'm just going to I'm going to just. You did it. You did it. So I'm going to dip my toe in the political pond really quickly and just say that, you know, at the end of the day, what I'm seeing right now, um, and again, I'm generalizing on a larger scale, but I'm seeing a lot of people who really are politically illiterate, Mm -hmm. you know, who are calling things racism when it's really, when you think about some of the cities that have some of the biggest issues, um, you know, they are cities that have black leadership. So what's the problem then, you know? So what are we really fighting? You know, I say that we're fighting accountability. We're fighting poor leadership. We're not fighting a skin color. When you think about the Freddie Gray case in Baltimore, all of the officers, I think this is the gentleman that while in custody, like his spine was like, he was was murdered. His spine was like, 
crush and all of that. When you think about that particular case, and then I'm going to sit it right there. I'm going to drop the mic on this and we're going to move on because, you know, people get really heated. Mm-hmm. But and when you think about that particular case, when you think about the DA, when you think about the mayor, when you think about the, the, the judge and, the, and everyone involved, the police commissioner and all of that, guess what? Black African-American leaders. That's who they were. And all the officers got off. So is, you know, so we are we really fine tuned? You know, we have to be surgical in our approach to change and we cannot be politically illiterate. We cannot be intellectually complacent and sort of take the CNN soundbite as truth. We need to look at our, to your point, our local and state. What's really happening? You know, what are the promises that have not been kept? Why is it that there's certain cities, you know, I grew up in the D.C. area, but I lived in Philly for 17 years. I went there for college and I live there to this day. And so when I look at how the city has evolved, they've had black mayors for the majority of time I've been there. Same thing, black police commissioner, black head of the school superintendent. And so uh, is this racism that we're fighting against or is it some other, something else, another factor? And I look at this not from a black perspective, not from a political perspective, but just with my background as a social scientist. So if anyone's listening and can say, "Mm, maybe I haven't been looking at the full picture, for me, I'm looking to, to find data to kind of see if it all makes sense as if I were doing an experiment. And and I don't think that, um, and again, I'm never going to de- diminish the, the real racial issues that, that are going on and the disparities and that type of thing. But I, when it comes to politics, we have to um, do our due diligence and this sort of, um, I just vote that way because we always vote the way and my family vote that way. And we all, you know, that that's not cute. And it, it's our responsibility for the next generation to really wake up. Let's get off Instagram and pick up a newspaper. Let's go online and really look at policy. You don't have to go on the news. Go on the congress.gov website and see who's being sued right now. See who, you know, look, you know, do that type of thing. And that's how on the micro level you can be informed. But this whole popularity over over policy culture that I'm seeing right now, it's disgusting. And I think that, um, People are, are again, focused on um, it's like high school, you know, who do I like? Who do I not like? But there are some leaders that do some great things as leaders that you may not like it. Just like my parents, they, uh, my mom and I was growing up very tough on me. There's some things that didn't feel good and that I didn't like, but I'm so grateful that she, she gave me some boundaries back then because that showed, you know, so we have to keep that in mind as, as we talk about um, potential solutions. No, absolutely. And, and so I'm a, I'm a data guy. So I'm a, not take offense to what you said about Google, but um, I'm a very one <laughs> one and zero black and white type of person. So I, I fully agree with, you know, stop looking at doing things the same way and, and getting the same result, but expecting something different. And so I, I promote Congress.gov. I, I, I post the, the actual words for legislation a lot of times and people look at me like I have seven eyes, but it's something I, I like to research. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned newspapers. I didn't even know they existed anymore, number one. But um, okay. Facts. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I do this often where, you know, I like to research. I like to be informed. I don't like to speak about things I don't know. And so I, I, I always look for information. I like to suck it up like a sponge. But there's there's so much misinformation out there. Right. And it's it's hard for some people who are easily influenced yeah. to, you know, determine is this legit or not. And so I know we have like the factcheck.org and that type of stuff. But I agree that, you know, we can look around the different cities and we can see the same people or same type of people been elected over and over and over again. And it's it's probably something we need to, to look to changing, not saying Democrat, Republican. I'm just saying ideology and, and Correct. what Correct. you're planning to do, and what you've actually done with your life. 
one more quick thing, um, just a little sidebar. So I, I do forgive you for growing up in DC. Um, and I, I, what? I don't, uh, I don't give you credit for being in Philly for 17 years. I mean, I, to me, you're born and raised. I, I don't feel that you actually can absorb Philly in just 17 years, especially growing up in DC. Um, but we'll move on from there. We'll move on from there. So we, we, thank you. Thank you. We've uh, so we've touched all over the next question, um, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because the, the premise of it is a little different than politics. So it's definitely difficult right now, generally and specifically with politics and what this next generation is facing. And so the first book I mentioned that you did put in work, gain respect, influence, <clears throat> excuse me, influence others and get results as a new leader. Let's talk about leadership for a second. And what qualities make for tomorrow's great leaders and how should they prepare to affect real much needed change in this country? Love this. I love leadership is my favorite topic of all time. Um, and I would say, you know, first and foremost, you know, the first quality that, that a real leader or someone who thinks of themselves as a leader needs to have is understanding that leadership is about character, not about title. I think that so many millennials that I work with are waiting to get a title of a leader and they don't understand that while they're waiting, they can actually show up as a leader today. I believe that, you know, once you show up as a leader, then those leadership opportunities come to you. And so, you know, it's how you carry yourself. And at the same token, I'm one of those people, I hold everybody accountable. I don't care if you have a title or not. You can have a title and I'm, you're not a leader just because you have a title, you know? And so I think that understanding the, that leadership is about character and not title is sort of the first um, mental shift that needs to, to, to be taken. The second thing is, um, you know, when it comes to a leadership quality, I think mental toughness is very important. Mm. You have to be able to lead even when no one likes you. You know, there's so many weak leaders out there because they're trying to appease everyone. They want to be liked. They want to be popular. And, and they're not willing to do the right thing, even because it's going to upset certain people. And I think that when you have that mental toughness and that resilience, and a lot of that piece comes from your identity. Who are you? How, you know, who, who are you through and through? Do you know who you are? Or, or are you a different person based on how somebody else, what they say? You know, someone can call me controlling all day. And at the end of the day, I'm going to say, I'm not controlling, I'm structured. You can say it a 50 million times, but I'm going to tell you, I'm not, I'm structured. And I know that apart about my identity, but see when a weak leader experiences that feedback, that's maybe not even coming from the best place. They don't know how to redirect the other person or reframe that person's thinking, or they don't know how to just sit in their structure and say, okay, well, they think it's coming across, you know, as controlling. I understand I'm structured and that's a part of my success. You know, they're going to ch change and bend and morph and you, you have to be consistently resilient in order to be a great leader. And I'm not sure if today's Instagram, oh my gosh, I didn't get enough likes on my picture generation um, is, is, is prepared for that. Um, the next thing, the last thing I'll probably say, if I give you like my top three, is going to be accountability. Accountability for self and accountability for others. I think the best leaders hold themselves accountable. I'm somebody that by the time you hit me up and tell me that I did something wrong, trust me, I've already had a conversation with myself. I've already repented, gone into prayer and created a solution like to not do it again. Like that's just how I roll. You know, I don't need everyone else. I don't need people to parent me. Like I love feedback. Um, and I think that that's, that's awesome um, in terms of a form of accountability, but 
trust me, there's nothing anybody could say that I don't already know about myself. I'm the hardest person probably on myself. And so accountability and opening yourself up for others to hold you accountable is important. And then the second part to that, like the, the 3B, is account- holding others accountable. I think that people mistake accountability for being mean, being rude, being this. But it's like, no, I'm holding you accountable to your best and better self. And so great leaders make leaders. They don't have followers. And so when you have that mindset, I have to hold you accountable. I can't let you, you know, be average. I can't. And, you know, I used to have trouble in my 20s with my friends because I was that friend that I'm not going to co-sign on this craziness that you're saying. Well, I, wish I should do this. And don't you hate her? And wasn't I right? Because, no, you weren't right. I really kind of think that you were the one that was wrong in that case. Oh, my, my <laughs> friends, they hated me. Like, I went through a group of friends that I just was like, I'm just trying to be that honest friend because I appreciate it. Like the honesty, tell me if I have spinach in my tea, you know, but nowadays people want to walk around being average, being mediocre, not putting their best, best foot forward. And they actually want to pat on the back for it. And so I think that, that, you know, this next generation has to understand, focus on, don't focus on being liked and being popular, just focus on your character and doing, you have the high values and high standards. Hold people, you know, accountable and open yourself up for accountability. But you have to have enough of that mental toughness to be able to understand, to be able to filter the feedback, if, if that makes sense. Because people will give you feedback from their hurt place or, from, or they're giving you feedback for stuff that they can't even do. And so and it'll break your spirit sometimes. But, yeah, those three things I think are very important. If you can lock it in those three, I think every, you know, the fourth one would be like a team. Have, have a team around you that can mm-hmm. that can help help you grow but yeah the, the, this generation needs to do it a lot of great millennial leaders that are out there killing it right now um and i think that you know th- there'll be some more that will be developed you know over the next couple of years gotcha yeah see i have a i have a couple um follow-up questions but i know we're pressed for time so we're gonna have to do a part two if that's okay with you at some point down the line Oh, for but, sure. We got uh, we'll do the after show. We'll do the after show. <laughs> there you go. So real quick, just just to that. So one, I do kind of like being like and my, my leadership style with my team and fraternity responsibilities is one that's very laid back, friendly, cordial. I do hold them accountable. Don't get me wrong, but I appreciate a good working relationship. And so I can I tend to get the tough ass, hard, you know, stoic, um, you know, characterization of myself just because at least I used to because I used to be very matter of fact ones and zeros black and white X's and O's did you get a job done are you wasting my time that used to be my management style and so now it's it's a little softer just a little softer but I think it does come back to the root of what you're saying some people just like to be liked and when you hear constantly people thinking you're something that you're totally not it it does it, it rides on you a little bit it weighs on you a little bit And you know what? Think about this. You know, two things. One, personality is different from your leadership style, right? So, like, for me, I'm so hype all the time. I'm just hype for no reason. I I don't do caffeine. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink a lot of, you know, eat a lot of sugar. But I'm that outgoing, gregarious. I got jokes. You know what I'm saying? Humorous, whatever. But I still don't play no games when it comes to my and the leadership managing others' side. You know, so there are different ways. I think that sometimes too we've been kind of taught about this like charismatic leader that's articulate and that inspires and has the vision. It's like nah, that's not reality <laughs> when the rubber meets the road. So yeah. I actually say. You know, kudos for you. If that's your vibe and that's your style, and that's really just naturally your personality, just like it would be hard to make me the stoic kind of black and white, it probably would be hard to make you outgoing and in your face kind of how I am. And so 
you know, don't definitely for anyone listening, let's honor just your style and your personality, right? Now, the second thing I'll say to that is perception. Perception is not always reality. It's just information about how you're coming across. And so when you think about in the, my book, Put in Work, I talk about developing your leadership brand. And so if people are saying, gosh, you're coming across before you're coming across, you may say, I'm not really like that. But for whatever reason, they're perceiving that I'm coming across that way. So then you can make a choice and say, do I want to adjust? Is it worth it for me to maybe adjust? Can I get more done by not, not, not being yourself, but by just adjusting so that they can have their perception and your perception of who you are can be a little bit more in alignment. So it won't be, you know, so I've, I've had situations where people may say, oh my gosh, you're so, you know, you're so friendly and nice and this. And I can tell that people are getting maybe a little bit too casual with me because I am naturally just personable in that way. And so I would go, I would collect that information and say, okay, I'm going to show up maybe three out of five times, I'm going to, um, you know, ha have a joke, but not five out of five. Because when I do five out of five, I think people are getting a little too comfortable and casual around me, um, you know, or whatever, you know? So, yeah. So, you know, definitely always take that, that data and that information back. And, but perception is not always how it is. And, and depending on what people are used to and who they're used to being around, you know, they may think that you're more serious than you really are because they're used to, you know, you know, so take it with a grain of salt and, and use that and think of it as a part of your leadership brand. Gotcha. And that does make sense. So I know I had a bunch of questions I wanted to ask you. We're not going to get to all of them. But there was one question I thought of uh, just before we started recording that I really, really wanted to ask you. So um, there's a quote that I saw in your information that says Dr. Brandy believes that she was put on this earth to impact, not impress. Can you share just share a brief thought on that? What does that mean? Yes. Okay. So a couple things, you know, so I'm going to just tell you a little bit about my journey. You know, I was born in a, I was raised in a single parent household with my mother. Uh, we were, you know, humble beginnings, AKA broke for you know, <laughs> some, of the, some of those years, some of those years, but that's a nice cute way to say we mm -hmm. broke a little bit. We was on a budget. We were budget conscious. Um, and you know, one of the things that she told me was, you know, education, education, education is going to be that thing, you know, keep, you know, be serious about your education and, and it's going to level the playing field and all of that. And so I really took that to heart. I became an overachiever. I was on the track team. I was on in the orchestra playing the violin. You know, I was on a role, student government president. Like I was doing it all um, 4.0 and I graduated from high school, went into of course, um, college and, and got a bachelor's and a master's and a doctorate and before I was 30. And at the end of the day, I, I sort of had this moment, um, you know, this kind of fork in the road moment where I did all of this, all of this, you know, striving, trying to, you know, reach quote unquote success and all of this education. And I still felt empty. I still felt less than, I still felt like I wasn't enough. I impressed other people and, 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 quite frankly, everyone telling me how impressed they were about my accomplishments year after year. And as they grew, you know, that I kind of took that, you know, to heart and, and bought into that story. And I tell people that, you know, I struggle for, from something called perfection. Now this is not a real disorder, but I have a degree in psychology, so I can make up, I, I can make up my own disorder, <laughs> but it's the thing that women do, you know, women do this even, I think a lot more than men, but it's like, we pretend like everything's great on the outside, but on the inside, you know, it's not we're faking it, you know, we, we show up and have all these things. And so I went through a little bit of a reflective process to say, you know, education is not the great equalizer. I still, you know, it didn't get me where I thought I was going to go. And I, I still don't feel like I have it all together. And of course I, I landed on leadership, 
leadership is the great equalizer. And so what I had to do in that process with all my credentials and all my accomplishments and all of this stuff was have, have a, a, a reality check and say, what, why are you here? Why are you doing all of that? It's not the accomplishments that, that make or break anything. It's the motivation behind it. And the truth is I was doing all of that because I felt less than I was trying to prove to myself that I was worthy because in the strict household that I was raised in, you know, my mom always pushed me, you can do better. You can write neater. You can clean better. You know, your room, you missed the spot. And, and what that was doing subconsciously was telling me that I wasn't good enough, that even when I thought I was doing my best, it still wasn't good enough. And I didn't, I didn't know that at the time, but that turned into this sort of overachieving complex that I got into. And so um, once I sort of understood that I'm the bomb with no credentials, I'm, I'm, I'm all that without a successful business, without being an author, who's Brandy, not Dr. Brandy, but just Brandy, who is she? And, um, you know, I said, you know what? I want to impact, not impress. I don't want to, I don't need any outside validation by anybody or any other certificate or degree. I want to make sure that, that I'll keep going as long as I feel like I'm, I'm having an impact. Um, and so for anybody listening who is striving and is successful and wanting to do more, it's not a, the things that you're trying to do. Cause guess what? I'm equally as busy. You know, I'm, I'm on the grind every day. It's, it's not about what you're doing. It's the motivations behind it. And, and I spent years um, hiding uh, and, and, and pushing issues that I, rejection issues that I had down, um, unresolved issues because you know, I was wrapped up in all of this striving. Um, and so and, and anything I do, I just want to have an impact and make sure that, at, you know, when I wake up every day, I don't wake up saying, wow, I have one more day to get it right. I wake up saying I have one less day. Mm. I'm one day closer to my death, quite frankly. Um, and that's what I use to, to motivate me and stay focused hyper-focused on myself, my wellness, my kids, my family, and the things that make me, you know, the things that make me, you know, happy. And so when I'm on a podcast like this or whatever, it's because I want to be here. Not because, oh, my schedule, this and that, that's about it. It's like, nah, people doing good work. I want to be attached to what Dave's doing, period. Um, I, I want to make sure that I'm a, I'm a blip on his screen, on his journey, um, and that we can come together during this time and and just build each other up. You know, I get a platform, you have a guest, you know? So I think that that part is, is what gets me hyped now, not just, oh, a, a, getting an A on a paper used to make me feel like I was something, but whether you get an A or an F, you still somebody. That's just an assessment of your ability to master the knowledge, you know, but we're not raised that way. We're raising kids. My children don't see their, their uh, report cards. My daughter's going to sixth grade. She's never seen a report card. I don't show it to her because her identity is greater than what the letters are. And I've, I've done more school than anybody. So I know all of it doesn't matter anyway. And teaching her about cumulus clouds and the Pythagorean theorem, that ain't going to save her now. Look, the world we live in now, I'm like, this is a joke. The whole curriculum is a joke, you know? So mm -hmm. I encourage people to, to really, their motivations, why they're really doing, doing things. And um, once I got to that point, I work now. I work harder than I've ever worked. I don't experience burnout. I used to burn out and be in the hospital every year at the end of the year because I was so, you know, doing too much. Now I'm doing twice as much um, than I used to do, but with ease, with a peace about it, with the organization, with a focus. And it's because I'm trying to just have an impact, not impress people. Gotcha. Wow. So, yeah, I'm going to use that quote, by the way. I'm here to uh, impact, not to impress. Oh, use it. Do well, yeah, it. So... You don't have to give me credit. Just use it. Yes. 
But just so you know, we're, we're doing like a part two, part three, after party, morning coffee. We're, we're going to get a couple of uh, recordings in here. It's, it, there's stuff I couldn't even get to that we need to unpack. All right. So, wow. That's uh, the Q&A uh, that we have time for right now. So the, the next thing I want to move to is what I call my first thoughts. And if uh, anybody out there listening for the first time, first thoughts are exactly what it says. I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Brandy a, a couple of questions either a phrase or a word and just get her first thoughts on it um, now she hasn't seen these phrases or words before this recording she has no idea what I'm gonna ask her but that's the whole premise of the idea of first thoughts so dr. Brandy let's start with this one um, been a tough week for many I'm reasons nervous. Um, I'm nervous. <laughs> don't be nervous um, the first one my, my fraternity brother uh, honorable fraternity brother the honorable John Lewis what's your first thought oh. Mm, that's a good one. Okay, first thought. Okay, I'm going to say uh, gone but not forgotten. I'll say that. Yeah, gone but not forgotten. I think I think there'll be there's a legacy there. Um, you know, he, he'll be gone, but but we, but he won't be. He'll still be here, and his legacy will, will still be here. So. Okay. Yeah. It's it's it. When I woke up, uh, I think it was Sunday morning or Monday morning. Which no, it was Sunday morning when I woke up and saw the news, my heart just dropped. I had the, the pleasure, one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life. I had the pleasure to meet him a few times. And as, as picture-seeking as I am, especially with social media, as, as picture-seeking as I am, I never took a picture with him, I, which you know now I regret. Um, oh, man. Yeah, and I, I think I met him three times on three different occasions. Um, but yeah, never, never, I was so in awe, I was so in the moment, I never even thought, hey, let me whip out the camera or whip out the phone and take a picture, but. Definitely, definitely going, but not forgotten. Um, second, yeah. one, second one, your first thought, if I say, and this is something I'm using, I'm giving you this one because I actually watch a, a video you're in and I, and I read some of the stuff you've done. So I, I know this might be a triggering word in a positive sense. I hope. Here he go. Here he go. Okay. Y'all. All right. So if I say millennials to you, what's your first thought? Oh, this is, okay. No, this is a good one. Millennials. Um, you know, this is what I'm going to say. Millennials will save the world, period. You know, say, people can say what they have to say. I know I'm not supposed to elaborate. Millennials, they, they will. You know, we are the, okay, can I elaborate, Dave? Uh, I know no. I'm, not, I'm not following the rules. Can no, I elaborate? Absolutely, elaborate. This is why I say this. You know, we are the generation, I'm an older millennial, but we are the generation that um, I think has been very mischaracterized. We want to help the world we want to save the world. We've gone into employers and said, hey, we're not being treated fairly. We, we've actually put our money where our mouth is and said, I actually quit. I'm actually going to quit this job. You know, we're radical. We're willing to say, I know I got a degree in this major, but because of the toxicity of this organization, I'm actually going to quit and do something else that I actually love and that I enjoy. And I think that this has been mischaracterized um you know by other generations as being something negative but now that i see the state of leadership across the world and i'm learning more about who's running what and who's affiliated with whom right now i've taken some time to kind of dig deep and go what so this is crazier than i thought it was I, i'm realizing that you know millennials um have have seen uh through their parents through their grandparents you know they have real data real information about the broken areas of the world. And so although very superficial in some cases, I think there's like a segment of the millennials that are very superficial in that way, but I think that with the right strategy, um, millennials can can help to 
to quote unquote save the world, you know, this generation. They have the heart for it. If they have the right information and don't succumb to misinformation, I think that um, they could potentially be, you know, represent some of the best leaders um, that we've seen, um, you know, in the future, you know, that we've seen in, in a couple couple decades. So I'll, I'll leave that right there. I'm sure people will probably disagree, but. No, I actually have a, uh, a strong belief that the younger generation is going to save us. So I, when you said that, I actually completely agree. I think not the time has passed for the older generations, but y'all messed up enough. Like, step aside. Let's oh, they done messed us up. Yeah, like, my gosh. They, they haven't, they've gotten us here, then it's like, I need them to sit down somewhere. Yep. All right, so I'll give you one more. One more, last one. Um, first thoughts on PTSD and our youth. Wow, so this is great. My father actually does work out of New York um, with the New York Police Department with PTSD um, and emotional uh, recovery uh, training for black youth in general. Um, I think that when I think about PTSD in our youth, I think that we really need to be mindful. Oh, I'm sorry, this supposed to be a phrase, not just a, um, okay, first, first, my first thought is um, the work isn't done. That'll be my first thought, my phrase, the work is not done. I mean, what I'll, what I'll just add to that is um, I think that we need to be mindful of emotional triggers. You know, um, although people may mean well with some of the yelling in the streets during the protests recently and some of the some of the rioting, I don't think they meant well with that, but I think with some of the rioting, there's certain things that we see. There are youth that are in their homes that are being triggered, that have been abused, that have certain unique situations. Um, and so although we're fighting for justice in, in one way, we have to be mindful not to psychologically re-traumatize um, our, our young people that just don't have that firm identity. You know, um, black youth are suffering from um, suicidal ideations more so than any other youth group in America. Um, and so, you know, as adults, we need to really be responsible and we need to be emotionally mature enough to say, although I could do this or I could have this on the TV 24-7 or I could have these conversations about George Floyd or whatever the case may be, you know, I'm not going to do that. My kids to this day, they don't understand why they've been in, at home school all year. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't know about COVID. I don't say the C word, I call the C word. I don't say COVID-19 in my household. I haven't said, I may have switched and said it once. Um, they do not, I didn't have the, the talk with my kids and, or my younger, my son about race. And when he grows up and blah, 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 he doesn't know about George Floyd. He's not wearing a mask that says I can't breathe. He's not, you know, I'm incubating them because, uh, you know, I want them to be pure. I want them to be, um, excited and have a zest for life. I don't want them to be fearful. I'm not going to instill and indoctrinate them. Um, as if with a fatalist attitude that they will experience this when they get older or they will, you know, or they could get sick or they, they look at, they look, they go outside and they're like, why does everyone got masks on? Why, you know, and they have to wear masks, but I don't have to go into detail of why we're doing certain things, you know? And so I think that that PTSD is very important. And as adults, we need to be mindful of our responsibility and not triggering these young minds um, because quite frankly, they don't have the mental fortitude um, to be able to, nor do they usually have the resources or the parents around them that they can spend enough time with them to help them heal. Nor do a lot of the youth have maybe some of the spiritual tools that are, you know, whether it's um, church or, you know, they're connected to positivity. The music is about is negative. You know, online, they're on Instagram. There's so much going on, even in a perfect world, much less this year. So that's just my little, per my little, you know, um, soapbox moment of just, 
uh, you know, I have a heart for the youth. I started off in behavioral health and mental health and social work. That's why I started off working at DHS doing child welfare cases. Mm. Um, and so I've seen it uh, firsthand. And um, I had to leave because I would be leaving work crying every single day for months at a time, having um, mental health clients that committed suicide. You know, I had to get out of that space in that way on the front lines. But I still advocate for us to really, you know, um, you know, understand that that you know emotional triggers are real. Um, don't watch the videos. Don't watch. You don't have to. You can still be woke without watching someone get murdered by a cop. You know, don't don't you know, curate your social media feed. You know, one make sure you monitor what your children are watching um, and what your you know things like that. So those are little things, unfortunately, that our young men and our young women they don't have parents that are giving them the boundaries and protecting them. And they think that they're able to, that they've seen, um, you know, the things that they can handle. And, and unfortunately, you know, they have some, some, some trauma, you know, that, that, um, you know, it may make it worse. So, yeah, but that, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to do some more work on my, actually, this is what I'll say. This is a first, this is an exclusive and then we can wrap up, but I'm actually working on a project right now, specifically, um, a tech related project specifically to bring mental health. Uh, counseling and services to uh, K through 12 students. Um, it's not going to happen this year, but we're hoping to, to maybe by fall 2021 to be able to deploy something, you know, in our schools, school districts around the um, around the United States, which would be revolutionary if we're able to pull this off, God willing. So, um, great last question. That's amazing, and and I look forward to to seeing that come to fruition. And anything I can do to help, you know, feel free reach out. I'll lend whatever uh, expertise sure or resources will. I have. Um, I sure will. Yeah, every you know every question you answer, I got like three more, but I know we were pressed for time. So, um, <laughs> what I would like oh, no. to say is, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time. I know that you're you're busy, you're responsible for a lot of things, and you're doing a lot of things. So I appreciate you taking time out to to stop by Dave's head. Um, lastly, what I like to to offer you the opportunity to do is, I mean, I know you just dropped an exclusive, but if you want to talk about anything else you're working on or promote anything or website books, anything, uh, feel free. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I just launched the calling all allies project, which is focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion solutions for individuals and organizations go to callingallallies.com. It's dope. We're trying to make sure that we keep things positive. We don't exclude people that we were not divisive and that we're really taking a surgical approach to, real long-term solutions, particularly in the workplace, you know, context, but check that out. You can always go to drbrandy.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-I.com, which is the hub for anything i got going on. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate being on the show. No problem. And again, thank you for joining. Just uh, lastly, I know some people probably by the time we got to this point in the, uh, the broadcast have looked up whether or not you can treat wounds with honey. I promise you, I wasn't making it up. You can. Um, <laughs> And if you got nothing else from everything Dr. Brandy said, if you want to be her friend, understand that she's not the one. She will keep it real. <laughs> she will tell you exactly what's going on if you're messing up, if you're doing it right. So, I, I do. Uh, yeah, they'll thank me later. They'll thank me later. They'll be glad for that accountability, okay? <laughs> yes, yes. So, thank you again, Dr. Brandy, and uh, we'll be right back after this.
Hey good people, you may have noticed some cool music playing for this show. That music was provided by DJ Ms. Deluxe. Deluxe represents as one of the top female DJs in Philly. Since 92, she's been spinning in clubs, on the radio, and touring around the country. And now is doing big things as a producer and local promoter under the main event Philly. Check her out on Instagram at DJ Ms. Deluxe. That's D-J-M-Z-D-E-L-U-X-X. And for promotions, at the main event Philly. All one word. That's DJ Ms. Deluxe. Doing it since the golden era music. The 90s, as I like to call it. Thank you for your support and contribution to Dave's Head. Welcome back. Welcome back. And um, I, I really hope that you enjoyed the insight and the <laughs> the dialogue with Dr. Brandy. Um, she's an amazing woman. Um, and I'm going to hold her to not only uh, the part two and the after party and the early morning coffee. We're going to we're going to book Dr. Brandy until she gets sick of being in Dave's head. That's what we're going to do. So, Dr. Brandy, if you're listening, uh, keep that calendar open. We're, we're, we're going to be hitting you up. And so I want to, um, you know, close out with my grin. And if you're just listening for the first time, um, what you've been doing the last five episodes. But if you're listening for the first time, uh, grin stands for a great reason to be in love with now. And I like to end all my shows with a great reason to be in love with now. And I think I literally found the mecca of being in love with now. And I want to tell you a story um, of two individuals two strangers and no this is not a sitcom from the 80s or 70s but um two strangers uh did a photo shoot with a photographer named uh, casey bailey she's a birth and family photographer and she placed an ad um, to pair a single man and a single woman together for a photo shoot and what she did she selected two people uh, heather john and baxter jackson for the shoot which took place in the virginia beach area now, um, according to Cassie, and I haven't verified this, although I'm sure at this point it'd be very, very, very easy to verify with all the social media attention they've gotten. Um, Heather is a 23-year-old single mother and working on her master's degree in social work, and Baxter is stationed in the area with the Navy. Go Navy, beat Army. Now, there's, there's been a little bit of stirred-up controversy because they did a photo shoot, and after the photo shoot, this amazing, amazing, beautiful photo shoot that they did, I mean, it, they... <laughs> You would have never known that they had literally just met because the pictures look like engagement photo shoots or like honeymoon photo shoots or something like that because they look like they were truly, truly in love. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But a little social media controversy popped up uh, because it came to light because, you know, people love to bring other people down. Um, But it came to light that Baxter is still married. Um, And so to explain, he and his legal wife, they're mutually separated pending a divorce, but you know, the courts aren't open in a lot of places um, because of the COVID. And let me tell you, I completely overstand their situation, his situation. Um, I've signed my divorce papers three times. Like, what are we waiting for? Like, let's get the shit over with. Moving on. I understand their situation. He's asked in a post, you know, respect his, his, his soon to be at some point ex-wife, mother of his child, amazing mother, leave her alone. Like, they agreed to separate pending divorce. 
they're moving on with their lives. She's perfectly fine with the love he's found, apparently. So stop being social media trolls and, and assholes. Just just put it out there. Leave him alone. Leave her alone. And so with that said, Heather and, and Baxter agreed that until the divorce is, is final, they're not going to pursue anything romantically, but they're they're going to continue to build on what they've established from one photo shoot. And if you get a chance, just Google. I mean, you can Google anything you want. Google Cassie Bailey, Google Heather John and Baxter Jackson. Just, just Google it. They'll come up. You'll see these amazing pictures that they took together. Um, and it, it came from a Facebook post that I saw that kind of talked about their story and the fact that they were literally, literally complete strangers, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing that you can get two people together. And if you, if you know a little bit about me, you know, I believe in this Plinko um, life structure thing. Right. And so for those who don't know Plinko, Plinko is a game from the Price is Right, where you drop a chip from the beginning, hits these pegs, goes back and forth, bounces, 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 and you land on money or you land on, I think zero, I think wipes you out or something like that. And so I think that's what life is. I think life, you start, you drop a chip, and every point that you hit is the decisions you make. So every time you make a decision in your life, it's a fork in the road. And so that decision you make to go left can lead you to this. And decisions you make to go right can lead you to that. And you make hundreds and thousands of decisions in your life that lead you to where eventually your life will end. But along the way, it'll lead you to great happiness, some sadness, beautiful times, ugly times, everything in between. That's what I think life is. So coming across this story just absolutely and completely bubbled up my heart, made my heart all warm and fuzzy and literally shed a couple tears. Look, I'm an emotional guy. I see stories like this. I cried in the movies. I'm not ashamed to admit that I'm one of those dudes. And so what my grin actually is, is something I want to do. And I'm going to post this on my podcast, Facebook page, Instagram page, and Twitter page. I want to do a photo shoot. And I have a photographer in mind. And I have a, a DJ in mind as well. And I say I have a DJ because what I'm going to do involves a photographer and a DJ. But my photo shoot is going to be called Pot of Gold. And here's why. The last couple of years of my life have been some of the most painful, traumatic, unbelievably ridiculous experience <laughs> that I could ever imagine. Like I've seen these things in like made for TV movies and after school specials back in the eighties and nineties. And I've heard about people going through some of the things that I went through the last couple of years, but I never expected to actually go through it myself. And in the middle of that storm, a rainbow emerged. And whether it be new friends or existing friends stepping forward, there was also a rainbow that emerged. And I, I told this friend of mine that you were my rainbow in the middle of the storm. And if you think about a pot of gold, at the end of that goal, that, or you know, connecting that gold and wherever it connects to it, does anybody know where the other end of it? Anyway, connecting to that pot of gold is a rainbow. And so what I want to do is ask seven people to volunteer. And there's a reason I say seven. I wanted some couples or the appearance of couples 
but also wanted somebody individual. And this is up to the photographer and the and the people being shot. But the motivation for the shoot is going to be threefold. Three different spontaneous reactions between people or by themselves that I like to see in this photo shoot. The first, when you meet a genuine love. And so you think about the dynamics of that. You think about, do you know that you met a genuine love? Do you just feel that you met a genuine love? Is it love at first sight? But when you meet a genuine love, so how do you illustrate that in a photo shoot? And that's that's what I want to see. How do you take these seven people and illustrate meeting a genuine love? The second thing is when you feel true happiness from a genuine love. Because think about this. We, we meet things that are extremely good for us every single day. Whether it's coming across a piece of celery or a person's smile or somebody holding the door for us or, or, or helping an elderly person and, and that feeling you get when you walk away and know you did something right. Or when you meet somebody that's a perfect stranger and immediately you feel something from them. You feel a connection. Or you have that first phone call with someone. And you hang up, cause, well, listen, I'm a child of the 90s, so, you know, back in the day, we didn't hang up, we fell asleep on each other. But when you hang up and you just sit there, you look at your phone like, where the hell did this person come from? Or when you're kind of dating and, like, a, a special event comes up or you take, you know, you go somewhere with them in public for the first time and they're just absolutely amazing and you find yourself just staring at them like, who the hell are you? Like, where did you <laughs> come from? And I keep saying, like, where did you come from? But that's, that's how you feel sometimes. Where did this... this this amazing person come from or when you wake up in the morning next to this person three four months in two three years in and you're just looking at them and for in that moment you feel true happiness from a genuine love and so I want to see that illustrated in this photo shoot and the last thing I want to see from this photo shoot is this that moment you reflect on the genuine love you've lived now, whether this is after things kind of went south somewhere, but you're reflecting on the great times, the, the real genuine love you felt before things went left for whatever reason. Or if it's, you know, your 70s and 80s and your 90s and your spouses, their 70s, their 80s, their 90s. And you're reaching ever so close to the end of your existence and you're laying there or you're walking, or you're doing something that allows you to reflect on the genuine love you share with somebody else. How does that portray in a photo shoot? And so I want seven people who can illustrate those feelings. And I want a photographer who can capture that. And I have a photographer in mind already. Actually, I actually have two photographers in mind. I want a photographer that can capture that. And strangely enough, I think music helps. So I want a DJ there as well. And I have a DJ in mind. Actually, you've heard me speak about this DJ. If you listen to my podcast through Anchor, you hear the commercial break where I talk about DJ Ms. Deluxe. And so I'll be reaching out to her as well. But my grin this episode is the appreciation for love at first sight. That it actually can happen and that genuine love, whether at first sight or through a mutual grown folk connection, because let's be real, love takes grown folk stuff. It takes that that grown folks, no bullshit, I'm not trying to waste your time thing. 
but that whether it happens through love at first sight or through that mutual growingful connection genuine love can be and this this photo shoot that heather and baxter did and when i saw it that's what i aspire to i aspire to look in someone's eyes and kiss someone's lips and hold someone in love and i think secretly deep down we, that's kind of all what we all want right we want to wake up to no bullshit and go to sleep to no bullshit that's me that's what i want i want a partner a friend not just a friend a best friend and so when you looked at that photo shoot and if that's something that's in your heart that should your heart should have been overheating because what they had what they did in that photo shoot was absolutely amazing absolutely amazing and so that's my grin for this episode look for my posts on facebook instagram and twitter and if you're interested fill out the form i'll let you know if you're selected i think we can do some amazing things and, and guess what one of my favorite times of the year is coming up fall and i think we can do some amazing amazing shots all about genuine love for now, that's what's in Dave's head. Until next time, stay happy and healthy. Like I always say, enjoy life because life should be fun. Thank you for listening and take care.